Hello, and thank you for listening to Renewables, a podcast by Biostar, which aims to explore the current and future energy landscape in America. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Renewables. Happy Friday to you. We are really excited about this week's episode and proud to have Sean Andrews, the CPO and Head of Sustainability at Evolve Energy with us today. Sean, thank you so much for taking some time out of your schedule and joining us here today. Thanks, David. Uh, Really excited to be here and um, appreciate the invitation. Absolutely. Uh, You all have had like everyone, um, probably a bit of a roller coaster to deal with this uh, last year in 2020, opening a relatively new company. Um, but but before we get into Evolve and um, sort of the trials and tribulations that come with being an entrepreneur um, in the pandemic environment, um, just set the stage a little bit for our listeners and viewers about yourself, give us some background about yourself, and um, how you ended up starting Evolve. Sure. So I I started in this industry in the retail energy side of the business um, at Reliant Energy. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's been more than a decade at this point. Um, spent time there on the structuring desk, um, then made my way through a couple of startups um, and really took front mid office type of roles within those organizations, background being in structuring, that kind of being my kind of core of what I, I go back to, um, but trading, pricing, um, and, and risk management. And while in the retail power business, of course, you know, you come across a lot of different types of um, structures and things that um, energy brokers are doing out in the market. And um, while at conferences and, and things, I noticed over the past the few years prior to coming over to this side of the business that there were some new folks coming around um, to conferences that uh, were in the solar industry and then also uh, just on various ECMs. And, you know, in talking with um, my now business partner, uh, Nick Parker, he had left the retail power business a few years before I did, started a broker shop. And then started also working in, you know, implementing solutions, demand-based solutions for clients here in Texas. Um, Shortly thereafter, um, you know, he and I were working on a business plan and uh, he was able to secure funding to start up an organization um, to really tackle uh, the needs of um, CNI customers in the deregulated space. I think that a lot, what we were noticing is a lot of the, what is built around um, uh, savings and and, um, renewable energy and the value of it um, for clients is really built around a utility model um, uh, and didn't really take into account what we think is is important from an integrated solution perspective, integrating contracts. So, um, you know, shortly thereafter, we, we split that organization and, and started up Evolve and um, have been doing that for the past couple of years. Awesome. And uh, I was probably one of those new faces, uh, me and maybe some of my colleagues. Um, I know that uh, starting back in probably 2017, 
Uh, we started event, uh, attending TIPA events, which is the Energy Professionals Association. And uh, I know you're involved with TIPA, right? We've had some of your colleagues on the show. Um, tell us a little bit just quickly about your involvement with TIPA and kind of what you do over there. Yeah, TIPA, you know, is a great organization, brings together a lot of, um, you know, really sharp industry professionals, um, provides a platform for, you know, of course, networking um, and, and transparency in the market so that um, we can, as an organization, they can provide, um, you know, place uh, for that to happen, but for exchanging of ideas. I'm involved in the TIPA Tech Committee, um, where we discuss um, new technology that's that's hitting the market that can impact our clients um, and, and really look to spread that knowledge to the members and give them an opportunity to, to maybe talk to um, uh, various vendors that are out there. That's awesome. And yeah, shout out uh, to Shira, who's been on our show, and to Sean Kelly, uh, who's been on our show. And for our listeners and viewers who haven't heard their episodes, I would highly encourage you to go back. Uh, both very, very smart individuals. And um, I really got a lot out of recording those episodes. So go back into the archives um, and check out those episodes. Um, and so I'm interested to know just a little bit um, for our viewers and listeners, just kind of tell us more about your services and your offerings and what type of customers you know, are you typically looking to partner with or, or what type of customers, I guess, can you best help uh, achieve their goals? Yeah, so, I mean, our, our objective is around managing risk and, and ultimately creating value for commercial industrial clients through integrated energy efficiency and sustainability solutions. Um, you know, we, we look to strategically um, reduce um, how much energy is being pulled from the grid um, and put control and management in their, their hands. Um, and um, we do that, you know, through a deep understanding of the markets and, and their usage patterns. I mean, the first thing that we are um, looking to do is not to say we sell, we sell lighting, we sell solar, we sell, you know, whatever behind the meter um, solution. We say, you know, what, what are you doing? Um, and and let, us, let us take a look at your energy usage um, and your facility and determine what is going to be the best approach. So, you know, the folks that we, we are typically involved with, I mean, it's really a Marriott. Um, we've done, um, you know, work with customers as, as small as $100,000 spend annually to up to $40 million in spend annually in enterprise-wide type solutions. Um, so, um, you know, it's, it's every... Uh, in the past few years that we've been doing this, um, there's been no two um, clients that have been alike. <laughs> it makes it really someone like me who is really in, in the background um, doing a lot of the number crunching and supporting um, our sales team and, and, and really focusing on uh, executing these strategies and what the financials are going to look like and you know what the ROI is going to look like and what the payback is going to look like. Um, and, and the difficult part is that I don't have a one-size-fit-all model, right? Yeah. And just plug this into some, you know, master system. I think over time, you know, you you can build something like that. But the but the challenge really is is that we live we live and work in an ever-changing environment um, in energy um, with different states, different utilities, different PUCs, different ISOs, 
right, that you're working around in, in the charges and, and the way you um, are credited for things and incentives and rebates and things um, are, are just different in, in every location. So we really like to um, tailor our solutions uh, to our clients as, as best we can. Absolutely. Do you all work uh, mostly in deregulated states or do you kind of venture outside into the regulated electric uh, states as well? Well, so our backgrounds being um, in the deregulated markets and, and uh, the client base that my business partner had prior to uh, me joining was based on a, a broker, energy brokerage type of portfolio, um, yep. started there in the deregulated space. But very quickly, we got into regulated areas because of a couple of things. One, you know, enterprise-wide clients that have multiple locations around the U.S., we were, as, as energy brokers, you're only able to touch the um, usage and, and able to help um, with savings on one side of the equation in one part of the markets, meaning deregulated versus regulated. With yep. solutions-based activities and, and ECMs, you you're really able to touch as many sites as are, are needed across the U.S. And so that is one avenue that has brought us into regulated markets. Um, and the other aspect is referrals. You know, you yep. do a couple of things um, for somebody and, and they say, well, I've got a buddy in, you know, in Nebraska, you know, um, and maybe you can help them. Sure. And, um, so, so that's kind of how we get around. We aren't at this point because I think there's just so much work for industry to do both on the renewable side as well as on the demand reduction side. Um, it, we're not venturing too far away to, to have to find things. We're not, you know, cold calling. We're not, you know, there's, there's so much out there. Uh, you know, I think we, we probably, uh, uh, have more work than, than we can handle, you know, is, is more of an issue, you know, how do we handle it all? And, and sure. it's to have, right. Um, of course, things slowed down a lot last year um, with people not wanting to spend money um, and, and kind of saving up for that rainy day that um, happened. Sure. Rainy months. <laughs> rainy year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So talk a little bit more about that because I think, um, you know, you kind of, open the business late 18, I think ish and starting to get some traction probably in 19. Just talk about, you know, being an entrepreneur in this pandemic environment and how you've been able to, um, you mentioned things were slow. Um, I think the whole industry felt that particularly around, you know, dealing with commercial and industrial customers who are trying to work within some sort of capital budget. Um, but talk a little bit about, uh, we First of all, let me just say, we love to talk about our failures on this show. Uh, we try to make that a theme of this show because if we just get on here and talk about, you know, all the things we've done right and um, paint this sunny picture, I think as entrepreneurs, as entrepreneurs, we know that that's not really uh, the reality of being an entrepreneur. So please, um, you know, don't hesitate to to talk about your failures as well, but just talk more about what it was like kind of starting up, have, being in startup mode, um, you know, with the cloud of a pandemic over you? Yeah, um, you know, it just, 
I feel like we've been in startup mode for three years. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, I don't know when you get out of startup mode, when do you slow down the pace and, um, you know, we're just, I don't, I don't even want to think about that right now. I think it's, it's go, go, go. Right. But, um, you know, you, you have to think about, uh, frame this up a little bit. Um, in, in, in this part of the business, when you're dealing with project-based stuff, um, you're looking at 12 to 24 months sales cycles, you yep. know, it's, there's an education process with the client. Um, there is different layers of management that you have to get on board, you know, and the larger the organization, the more layers you have to deal with. You know, the facilities people are gonna want um, to know different information than the operations group or portion of a, a part of an organization um, or the CFO and, and, and their, you know, finance team, right? Everybody's yep. looking at different aspects of, of why a solution um, makes sense for them and everybody has an opinion. So um, getting over those hurdles when you're dealing with um, larger organizations is something that has been a challenge um, and we've had to kind of tweak and, and really um, better understand. And really it's, it's understanding and knowing your client um, is one thing, but also um, recognizing and, and through trial and error um, some of the things that we might have spent a lot of time on that nobody really cared about. And I could have, you know, spent more time on, you know, you know, this other aspect of the business and, and maybe move the needle a little bit um, quicker. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, our objective is to uh, meet their needs and um, whatever those are, um, whether that be sustainability or, or purely reduction in OPEX. Um, mm -hmm. So there's, and there's a difference between, and you can have both, um, but, you know, it just, it's where's your focus and so that we can, you know, tailor our focus towards that. But so if you think about, you know, that 12 to 24 month sales cycle and going through pilot phases and, you know, with, with larger clients um, and, and, you know, and then looking for findings after that and then saying, okay, well, now we've got the findings, we believe in, in what you're doing, let's roll this out. And right. then it's. Right. And then they say, wait, hold on, hold on. Let's wait a couple of weeks until, um, you know, until this blows over and, uh, you know, my school and I don't have to, you know, <laughs> work from home right. and see what happens. Right. And weeks turn into months. And, um, you know, so we went, we went through a little lull there, I think, you know, end of March through June, July, um, when people got picked their heads back up they started to recognize, okay, this is a, a, a normal for now. Um, I don't know if it's a new normal, how long it's gonna last, but let's see, what do our books look like now? Are we willing to spend money? And we started, our conversation started shifting from, um, you know, and, and what we've been doing is as much as um, you hear about uh, energy as a service and, and subscription type models, um, we just, we haven't seen as much adoption. Um, I'm not, not saying that it's not out there. It's just the type of clients that we deal with have, mm -hmm. have to either find their own financing or pay cash. And it just is what it is, right? So um, uh, we we saw an, an increased interest in, in those OPEX type models um, from these corporate clients, clients who have the tax liability. And that's why they typically are saying, let's capitalize this cost rather than, you know, uh, go to this as a service type of model. So we're not dealing with, you know, municipal, uh, uh, say municipalities, but um, 
government type entities, school districts or universities or anything like that. I think that model fits really well for, for those types of group or cities. Um, we're dealing with, you know, uh, medium to large size private corporate companies that have the cash, um, but now don't want to spend it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and they say, you know, what are our options? So we got to spend some time exploring that a little bit more with them. Um, and, and I think, you know, by the end of the year, uh, we got, you know, uh, there was just a, a ton of opportunity that started to come to fruition. And um, 2021 has really kicked off, um, you know, really strongly. Um, so we've, we've got everything that we, we were working on back in March and then some. Yeah. That's great. And I echo the sentiment. We we have basically the same story, you know, over at Biostar looking at um, in 2000, kind of March 2020, April 2020, or going into March and April, had a lot of kind of medium to large size commercial private businesses. Same thing. Everybody kind of put it on pause. It was really in September when I started to kind of feel the engine start to rev under me a little bit and, and start, like you said, you know, okay, maybe this is the, the normal for now and, and we have to learn how to operate uh, within this normal for now. And, um, and, and we feel the same way. And then you kind of go into the winter and uh, this is not a political podcast, but with the, uh, you know, administration changing in Washington, DC, uh, the last kind of 60 days have just been like, wow, it's a great time to be in the renewable energy business. Um, you know, you can really start to feel that engine revving. Um, and, and we believe 2021 is going to be great for for companies like ours. And for our viewers and listeners, uh, if you're hearing that a lot of similarities, if you know about Biostar uh, and you're thinking to yourself, gosh, it sounds like Sean uh, and his company are kind of really similar to David and his company. Uh, we are, absolutely. Um, the difference is we don't really have a lot of crossover customers. And so uh, one thing that I think is so cool about the renewable energy business in general, um, and even the demand side, you know, kind of energy conservation measure side of the business, um, is that people are really collaborative and people in our industry are really willing to work together it feels like to really find that kind of best solution for their customer um, and and take more of a, a unified team approach. So that is a long-winded way of uh, me thanking you, Sean, for the opportunity to kind of look at some things with some of your customers and um, and you know offer expertise where it makes sense for us too. And we've sure, certainly enjoyed um, you know trying to wrap our hands around some some challenges that your customers have been having and certainly look forward to hopefully doing more of that um, in the future. And so um, let's shift a little bit kind of just away from COVID um, and really just more to this, this broader energy landscape. And, you know, we're seeing a lot of changes from a legislative standpoint uh, we're seeing a lot of changes just from a marketing standpoint, the way that companies are talking about themselves and talking about their brands, um, you know, to the to particularly consumer brands. What, what are you paying attention to the most um, kind of in this rapidly changing landscape or maybe put a different way? You know, what gets you excited 
um, that you're sort of starting to hear from your customers and, and what excites you about uh, the position that you're in and, and sort of the next five or 10 years? Yeah, um, and I and I do echo the sentiment about the collaboration. Just to throw that out there, and I think it's 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 really goes back to um, what I you know talked about earlier. Is is there's just so much for us to do, and um, there's there's so much opportunity. We don't have to bump heads. We can collaborate, um, yeah. and and we can um, you know tackle this uh, big issue together of you know, reducing um, grid sourced um, energy and, and decentralizing the grid. Um, yep. And so, um, you know, some of the things, I mean, obviously I think, you know, I'd say, you know, top of mind on the renewable side is, you know, how the ITC credit is gonna play out. Um, I, I've heard that there's proposals to kind of bring back to 30%. Um, I think that would, you know, that helps, I think, extending the 26% ITC over two years, um, you know, made it, is, is kind of making a big difference. I think one of the things you lose from that is that flurry that you have at the end of the year of everybody trying to um, safe harbor their projects. Sure. Uh, and so, you know, now everybody's got kind of a two-year window. So that flurry is probably not going to happen at the end of this year. It would happen yep. next year if everything stays, right? Um, but the other aspect of that is, is, is not just how it impacts solar, but at, at some point, does the ITC extend to standalone storage? Mm-hmm. Um, right now, there's, you know, caveat with storage um, being tied to a renewable project, because then you're talking about, you know, uh, I think, I think it's, it's with, a, with a highly, you know, penetrated renewable grid, you're, you're seeing need for that and, and California has kind of gone their own way and, and highly subsidized you know um, uh, battery storage behind the meter for um, for clients and such and and we'll see how that plays out um, for their market for the, for the Kaiso market um, hopefully it helps some solve some of the issues that they've run into over the past few years um, but th- th- those are those are certainly front of mind um, I think that at technology costs coming down significantly is also a big thing outside of the regulatory realm. Um, I think that's 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 why we're seeing so much activity um, in the past five years um, is because of technology costs coming down. Right where, you know, there was some there was some certainly some OGs in the market that started in solar when it wasn't cool and it, when when it wasn't um, uh, when it wasn't economical, you know, and, um, and now that the economics are there. Um, even in a market like Texas, where people are paying an average of eight, nine cents a kilowatt hour, um, you know, this widespread adoption is happening. It's happening really fast. Um, yep. So excited about that. Um, uh, certainly makes our jobs um, a little bit easier. You still have to tell the story. You still have to show, um, you know, uh, that, that there's a return associated with the investment. But um, um, there's just so much uh, more opportunity from that perspective. Um, I think that utilities, as they, you know, recognize the, how big of an impact the increased uh, utility scale solar projects are going to have on their, uh, on the grid, um, is, is going to create, um, 
either transmission projects or um, you know, in one way, shape, or form, um, some of the fixed costs associated with the TMD transmission and distribution um, to increase um, over time. So that's something we have to watch out for and really understand like how it's going to impact our clients on the on the on the back end. Um, it does it does sort of increase the value of the payback because you're avoiding that cost, but one which one feeds the other. Um, you right. Know, I get into a lot of details, you know, when it comes down to the, the financing aspect of it. So, um, but it, and it, and it's all really interesting. Yeah, it is really interesting. And there's uh, a lot to look at because, um, you know, we won't get too far into the weeds, weeds on this call or on this uh, episode, but uh, what Sean's saying there around transmission and delivery is that even if you go and put solar on your roof, uh, and you're able to vastly, you know, reduce the amount of kilowatt hours that you're pulling from the grid, the utility could at any time say, well, we're just going to shift the way that your bill works. And now we're going to, we've seen a shift uh, towards more transmission and delivery costs. Um, Sean, you probably know more about this stuff than I do, but, um, you know, now I don't think it's uncommon to see where if you look and break out your utility bill, it's certainly not for our customers, it's not uncommon to see where the transmission and delivery is accounting for as much as 50% uh, of the cost in that bill. And so it's interesting to hear you kind of say, you know, you, you expect to see that continue to rise because you kind of start to think, well, gosh, how high could it go, right? I mean, at some point, um, so that's really interesting. And I think just so our, our, for our viewers and listeners who aren't necessarily as down in the weeds, um, you know, why are they charging more for the transmission and delivery? Well, it's to, to maintain their profits, but also uh, they're having to go and, and reinvest in the electricity grid, um, which is something that uh, there's a great book called The Grid. If anybody hasn't read that or wants to kind of geek out about uh, some of the, the flaws with our current, you you know, national grid, um, and it's a beast. It's a lot to maintain. Um, there's a couple of our episodes. I would encourage folks to go back and look at uh, Andrew Barth's episode with CSD. We talk a lot about that. Um, Lila Ontiveros, actually from Freedom Solar, uh, it likes to geek out on stuff from the grid, and she was on one of our early episodes, so we talk about that in there. But it's it's really fascinating, and it's important because. We go and show our customers, hey, here's what you're going to save and here's the payback and the life is good. Uh, but there, we don't have control of ultimately how the utility charges that customer going forward in the future. So it's hugely important. Yeah. And if, and if you look at the extreme of it, because I think, you know, this is when I when I look into different scenarios and and kind of the spread of, of possibilities of spend and such such I always look at the extremes I look at the very high and the very low and what could that right um, the extreme of it is you know let's say every um, household or every uh, building uh, facility has some kind of behind the meter um, solar on uh, their their rooftop or or next to their um, facility let's say, but all behind the meter. Um, the number of miles of transmission and distribution lines did not change. And there's a fixed cost to managing those things. So if behind the meter usage has decreased by, you know, 
Well, that's your in your your denominator, and so your unit cost to manage that fixed cost of the T and D is going up. You know, maybe yep. it was five cents a kilowatt hour. Now it's seven cents a kilowatt hour. Um, so on a unit cost basis, you know, you have to figure that they have um, they they have fixed costs that they have to manage. Um, the other the other thing uh, which you touched on is is they have. Um, these utilities have, uh, you know, rates of returns that are pretty much guaranteed, you know, through the PC, right? Because they have to manage. Um, and so, um, you know, that, that's a factor for sure. Yeah, it's it's all fascinating. And you mentioned financing. And so I'm just um, curious, kind of your take on, you know, the financing going forward. I, I think I heard you say, um kind of pre-COVID, just sort of your mix of customers weren't necessarily as interested in that sort of as a service model and the financing model. Um, and maybe that's become more interesting. How do you see that playing out? Do you see that sort of retreating back to where it was pre-COVID? Or do you think people are kind of waking up to, hey, there's there's good, efficient ways to finance these projects and maybe go and use our capital elsewhere uh, that might create a better return? Yeah, I mean, it really just depends on where a company is um, in their life cycle, what their tax liability looks like, um, where they think they're going to be over time. Um, you know, the, the challenge, um, you know, for us comes to, especially when dealing with um, private commercial companies, is credit. And same. Yeah. so because credit's going to dictate, you know, kind of the rates of returns that the banks or whoever the financier is looking for. And when those numbers get too high, well, it's kind of hard to say, you know, yeah, we could do energy as a service, but it's going to be 20%, <laughs> you know, like right. that's going to be your rate, you know, embedded rate, right? There's so much embedded in that. But at the end of it, you know, you're, you're, the pro is that you're going to be able to take this as an OPEX instead of a CAPEX. And it just really depends on, on where a business mm -hmm. is. I'd like to see is for those um, rates to get more competitive, but also, for um, you know, financiers to have a, a, a maybe a different view, um, and I'm 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 not, I've never sat on the side of a, a bank or um, of any type of um, financing entity, but you know, what exactly are you looking for? What exactly are you looking at? And why can't you look at a business this way versus that way? Um, because as you can see here, they have a significant cash balance. Um, you know, and but you're you're also you're taking into account this you know segment of debt, and we're only looking for this much money. I mean, there's just there's so many factors. Um, I think I think that um, you know it's just really going to be on a case by case basis. Um, I think the energy as a service, um, you know, is is really for groups that don't have tax liability. Um, and I'm not so let's just not talk about you know commercial customers that don't have the tax liability. Um, and, the, and you can kind of relate this somewhat to PPAs as well, right, on the renewable side. Um, it's, it's a very similar concept um, in, in the way that I look at it. But, um, you know, churches, schools, um, cities, um, you know, and, and anybody that just doesn't have, you know, they're, they're tax exempt. Um, so yeah. those would be, you know, uh, no brainers, right, for them because they can't, they can't capitalize on that capital uh, write-off, right? And um, so, but but then you have the uh, commercial industrial companies that, you know, every company is gonna do their best to kind of zero out 
you know, their tax liability and, and you can only go so far. And I'm, I'm dealing with, you know, you know, the medium and, and sometimes smaller sized um, private companies. This is not, we're not talking about publicly traded, you know, huge, you know, giant numbers of profits to deal with here. So sure. it's, it's just a different, you know, customer class that I think is, and the reason that we, we look at this class and, and uh, we're successful in it, I think, is because the larger you get, the more likely it is you're going to have in-house management. And we're sort of an outsourced kind of energy strategy um, organization and implementation. Sure. Uh, and and uh, that's, there's a, there's a niche there and there's a, there's a huge need um, for these, these customers that can't afford to have the expertise on staff, but they spend a lot um, in energy. And so they still need to pay attention to it and, and, and watch that line item, you know, as it pertains to their company's financials. Absolutely. Well, I, I would say you hit the nail on the head with the credit issue. That's always the number one, you know, issue for us when we're looking at a new project, uh, whether it be a PPA or using some other financing vehicle, um, you know, even when the customer wants to own it using a capital lease, uh, we, we still bump up to the, against this credit issue all the time because we're trying to uh, take solar, which has a 25 or 30 year life, and we're trying to amortize it over, you know, some shorter term that a bank will give you. And so uh, there's actually some interesting companies out there um, right now who are, I think, kind of in the starting phases of being able to, to revolutionize the lad a little bit. There's a company called uh, Radiant REIT out there who you may have heard of that's super interesting that um, sort of tries to align more real estate type lending um, because of the 25 year, um, you know, life uh, with solar. And so that's really interesting. And um, I, I think creating efficiencies in financing um, is absolutely going to be a, a huge part of keeping the foot on the gas and, and continuing to drive more adoption, um, you know, whether it be in the renewables or kind of on the demand side um, where you all do a lot of work. I wanted to ask you um, about LED lighting because I know you all offer your customers um, LED lighting upgrades. We do as well. Um, our strategy now is that, you know, we don't necessarily um, have an active like lighting only sales force uh, that is out developing new projects. But when our customers need it, uh, we have we obviously understand the the electrical and the labor side of it, and then we have good ways to to purchase fixtures and everything like that. But um, it's been a mainstream kind of topic for you know ten plus years now. Um, are you still finding there's a lot of opportunities out there, and why do you think folks haven't kind of we probably consider that low hanging fruit? What do you think is the number one reason why uh, they haven't converted yet and taken that kind of step? Um, you know, if, if you look back um, a few years and it's, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's really about the cost of the technology and how it's, it, it keeps coming down. So, you know, really fast, I think, you know, part of it is, you know, especially when you're dealing with kind of smaller commercial size organizations, and I would call it low hanging fruit. It's kind of one of those things, depending on, you know, what their energy rates are, you could, you could see anywhere from, you know, two to to five-year kind of max payback period, um, just yep. cash, cash on cash payback. But 
Um, you know, really, I think, you know, it, depending on what that period has looked like, I mean, we, we talked to a retail client, um, say about a year and a half ago, and they said, you know, they have over a thousand locations nationwide. And they said, we won't do anything that ha doesn't have a sub two year payback. Why? Because we lease our space and we only do two year leases. And so if there isn't a payback within two years, then, and we don't know if we're going to stay there or not now, you know, a lot of the times they do extend their leases, but they just, you know, that's what it is. So um, with, with customers that don't own their buildings, the, mm -hmm. the building owner um, doesn't have any incentive if the customer's paying their electric bills to upgrade that stuff. The, the um, tenant, um, unless they have a long enough term to kind of cover that, um, is, is also saying, I don't have enough incentive to make that change. And so there is a ton out there um, that hasn't been done. And um, just about, you know, every job we come across probably has some aspect of lighting um, opportunity associated with sure. it. Um, whether they choose to do it or not, you know, um, that's a different question. Um, again, it, it comes down to, and this is also an issue that we deal with, with um, behind the meter solar, even in areas where you have really good paybacks, let's say like San Diego, which you know has really high energy rates, or um, New Jersey, which has really nice um, incentives from the TREC, um, the renewable energy credits um, side of things. Um, it's it's how long is my lease on this building? I've got you know, five year lease, even a seven year lease. I'm I'm three years into a ten year. And you're just barely cutting into the, the payback period and saying, does this make sense? And then when you break it into an IRR over such a short period of time, um, you know, you, you're not hitting hurdle rates. Um, so how do you incentivize, you know, the, the facility owner um, in those cases to, to participate in this and say, hey, we're upgrading your facility maybe the customer pays for X percentage of it and you pay for, you know, tenant improvement, you know, you've got TI yeah. certain things sometimes. Right. So, um, but, but those conversations, the tenants, you know, again, it's an education process. We have to talk to them about that and say, Hey, ask your landlord this, or let us talk to them. And, yeah. and, you know, and, and those, it just takes time to get through that. And some people just aren't willing, you know, and sure. so, um, you know, there's just, there's still a lot to do out there and especially in commercial buildings. Um, I, I see, you know, I walk around commercial buildings all the time and see, you know, fluorescent lights everywhere, right? And even incandescent yeah. lots, right? I mean, it's kind of, you, you kind of look around, you're like, man, this is, you know, we're involved in the industry and we're intimately involved. And so you think everybody's doing this and it's a no brainer and it's just so easy, right? Like why, why wouldn't you do this? You know, um, uh, but, you know, you have to kind of, take a step back and try to understand that not everybody is getting, uh, sees all the information that we see and what's going on in this industry. And it's really hard to do actually sometimes. I'm like, oh yeah, this is, this is coming yeah. to my friends, you know, and, and this is, all this is happening. They're like, what, what are you talking about? You know? And I'm like, what, you don't know about this? <laughs> yeah. Right. My wife jokes, you know, one way, you know, that you're an energy geek, uh, is when you walk into a building and the first thing you do is look up at the light fixtures and uh that's a bad habit of mine she talk to your manager she likes to, yeah exactly um and so you mentioned controls there and that's a, a part um of the equation that i think is really often overlooked because led lighting you know you have 
Um, there's been enough buzz about it. Everybody's had somebody call them to try to upgrade their lighting. They, they know that it saves money. They just haven't done it yet for whatever reason. But I think that building controls um, are, for whatever reason, seem to get sort of glossed over um, a lot of the times. And I think it's extremely important. And at Biostar, you know, we started our demand side business in the lighting business. We were doing lighting retrofits and we really expanded our offering uh, because that's what the market was calling for. We just kept hearing over and over again, well, yeah, controlling my lighting is great, but what about controlling my thermostats? I think that my HVAC is running when it shouldn't be, or I think my HVAC is really the biggest part of our bill. And can I control the whole building? And, you know, I'd like to put a, some new automatic locking doors at the front. Can you do that? And so I think it's really a, a fascinating value proposition. I know um, from experience that when it's done right, it can be cost effective and, and generate a lot of savings. Just talk a little bit about um, how you view kind of that optimization piece um, and using smart controls in buildings to not only save energy and money, but to sort of improve your, you know, the operations of a building. Yeah, I I really like, um, you know, looking at, you know, BAS, EMS systems and trying to understand them. I think I'll tell you what the first challenge is, is there's so many out there and yeah. filter through that and saying, you know, one solution isn't going to make sense for every different type of facility out there, right? There's, there's, there's just so many different technology partners and to get experience with all of them, um, you know, would mean that you'd have to have these things installed in multiple different types of locations. And the reality is getting comfortable with the groups that you're working with is, is um, really important, but, you know, of course their technology working and doing what what it says they can do is, is important as, um, is, is probably number one, but really just having a comfort and, and understanding and a good partnership with um, folks. And so we tend to kind of lean on uh, certain technologies, um, but there's just so many out there. So I think, I think that becomes a challenge, um, you know, for folks um, to, to and, and then for us too, as, as solution providers to say, we want to recommend something um, we have to really be comfortable with it and, and really understand um, and know that, that our client is going to be happy with it. Uh, sure. You know, in terms of the value proposition, um, I think, you know, obviously you can automate, you know, everything, <laughs> just about everything, um, but there's a cost to it, right? So um, where is that balance of, you know, cost and, and, and savings? Um, there's an optimization problem essentially to solve there. And then, you know, there's a, there's a, um, from an efficiency perspective, from a um, market participation and risk mitigation perspective, um, especially in areas where you can be compensated for um, demand reduction during certain times of the year, or certain times of the day. Um, and, and also, um, depending on in, in deregulated markets, if you have some exposure to the market because you're looking to take advantage of um, low real-time prices, um, you know, it becomes a risk mitigation tool to say if the prices do spike and, and real-time prices, you know, go up to thousands of dollars, well, I have this lever that I can pull and it's automated and mm -hmm. I want to be able to participate um, in the market in that way. Um, and so I think that um, these... Uh, automation, these control systems have come a long way to how they interact, um, not just being on timers, like, you know, the simple stuff that we have at home, 
you know, say, okay, at this time, my AC turns to 72 and later on it turns to, you know, 68, you know, or yep. whatever it is. Um, you know, there, there is an actual um, integration with the market um, and we're seeing an increase in, in that type of technology. It's, it's all been there already. It's, it's a matter mm -hmm. um, optimizing those solutions and, and it's all about the, the software that's behind it. It's not the hardware, the hardware exists, right? right. I access my, my thermostat and change it on my phone if I want. But how do I automate that change and it be based on, you know, some set of information, whether that be a forecast or, a, um, you know, a historical view of, of, of what, you know, the market has done and, and what this type of day looks like and such. So um, all really, really interesting stuff. And there, but, and, and there are um, solutions out there. Um, and I think any uh, commercial building, um, and I, when I say commercial building, I think like office buildings, they're all going to have some kind of control system installed. Now, there's still a lot of buildings out there that have systems that we've come across that are from the 70s or 80s. Yeah. They haven't updated them. And yeah. these people that are working there have been there for 20 years and, and it works for them. And um, but but what they're not realizing is, you know, you can spend two to three hundred thousand dollars to retrofit this thing, and all of a sudden you're saving you know, 50 plus thousand dollars a year that you didn't even know existed because there's a lot of waste with some of these old pneumatic systems that are out there. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, same thing, just, just technology becoming more and more efficient and cost effective. Um, it's, it's a really important piece to look at um, and, you know, requires a certain level of expertise, not only from a market perspective, but um, specifically to the controls um, around HVAC and lighting and, and what the capabilities would be to participate in the market. Sure. Well, it's fascinating stuff. And um, if anybody uh, has, particularly folks in Texas where, where you're uh, located, right, uh, has heard this podcast and wants to connect with Sean or follow Evolve uh, as we kind of wrap up here, let our, our listeners and viewers know how to find you online. Are you tweeting? Are you on LinkedIn? What's a good way to get in touch and uh, keep in touch with Sean and with Evolve? Sure. Um, so you probably find me most uh, in communicating with peers on, on LinkedIn. Um, and, um, you know, it's, that's where I get my industry news. Um, yep. And, um, you know, you can, you can, Get me on email by email at um, sandrews at e-volve.energy. Um, but again, LinkedIn is an easy way to, 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 to message me or to, to kind of follow what we're doing at Evolve. Awesome. And we'll make sure that your email address, uh, if you're okay with it, is in the show notes and your LinkedIn uh, profile link. And like I said earlier, you know, thank you uh, for the opportunity to kind of look at some things and work on some things for your customers and, and collaborate together uh, since we've known each other over the last year or so. Uh, it's been really a pleasure getting to know you uh, both personally and via business and really, really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show today. Um, I hope you'll come back and uh, talk about how your year went. Maybe we'll try and circle up 
at the end of 21 or the beginning of 2022. Right. Sean Andrews, thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, don't be a stranger. Come back and see us. Thanks for having me, David. Really enjoyed it. Thanks.